0: Good morning. How many of you guys are really grateful to be alive this morning? Go ahead, show of hands. All right, about half of you. Okay. Um, Yesterday, just so you know what your pastors do on Saturdays, I found myself in a very interesting situation. I I really don't like heights. If I get like on the third step of a ladder, I get a little nervous And so I really wanted to watch the Ohio State game yesterday. At halftime, it was tied almost, and I was like, man, this is probably going to be a good game. So I go upstairs and turn on my TV, and I realize that the antenna isn't picking up channel 19, which is the channel the game's on. And so I'm like, well, if I'm going to watch the game, I have to go outside of the window, climb on the roof, and turn the antenna so that it'll pick up channel 19. And so I'm like, well, that can't be that hard, right? My father-in-law does it all the time. And so I go and I look out the window and I'm like, yeah, this will be, this will be no problem at all. I climb out the window. I basically run up the roof. It's pretty steep. And then I'm like, how am I going to get down? And so a lot of fear came over me. I was thinking, where's my father-in-law when I need him? He's usually the one who does this. Uh, long story short. God gave me the grace to get down off of the house, and the game didn't come in anyways, so it was all for nothing. Um, but that's just a, a story to, to, to let you know what I do on my Saturdays. Um, I'm really grateful to be alive today. I'm really grateful to be here with you guys to bring you the Word of God. And this morning, as Keith said, we're going to be starting a, a new mini-series, a two-week series on the cross leading up to Easter Sunday, As you know, Dwayne and Verda are gone, and uh, so I'll be preaching today. Dwayne, or Keith, will be preaching next Sunday, and then Dwayne will be back for Easter Sunday. And so what we wanted to really focus on and, and really looking at the cross is come at it from a little different of a perspective. Usually when we look at the cross, we inherently tie it to what God has done for us, which is true and which is awesome, which is great. And we will look at that a little bit in the sermons that we have on the cross. But what we really wanted to do is really show what the cross reveals to us about God and about Jesus. And so this morning, what we want to do is look at the cross in relation to what it reveals to us about who God is. And we're going to be looking in the book of Romans in chapter 3, if you'd like to, to ready your Bibles there. And I just want to give you a little bit of an understanding of the way Paul writes in Romans. What he's doing is he's writing this book to a church he's never been to before in Rome. And he, he, he writes it in a very interesting way. He's explaining, he's laying out the gospel, but along the way he either foresees objections to what he's saying or he hears um, from people reporting to him that people have these objections about the gospel. And so what he does is he will either raise an objection himself or answer an objection that he's heard to the gospel. So we see a lot of kind of like question and answer. It's almost like Paul is is speaking, but then he's raising an objection to himself, and then he answers it. And so at the point where we come to in Romans chapter 3, we see Paul in the first two chapters kind of setting up the gospel in that all people are sinful, they've all fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one, as he says. And then he foresees this objection being raised as, uh, as he says that God justifies sinners. He proclaims sinners not guilty. And so we see a problem here because he's laid out that God is righteous and just and must punish wickedness. And that we are indeed wicked and deserving of that punishment. But yet God isn't punishing us. But rather he calls us just. He calls us not guilty. So that's the objection that Paul is coming at. And that's the one he's seeking to answer. And he turns to the cross in answering that objection. An objection about the righteousness of God and the justice of God. In justifying sinners. And so as we, uh, actually, if you'll you'll pull out your bulletin, um, we're going to be looking at at two different ways that the cross reveals uh, about God. The first is that God is righteous. Uh, The second is that God is just, and that will lead us to God being the justifier of guilty men. So that's the context for the sermon this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll read out of Romans chapter 3. Father, thank you for allowing us to come and worship your name this morning. We know that you are here by your spirit, and we pray that your spirit would move in our hearts, that we would come to know you in a greater way, and that we would be drawn to worship you for your righteousness and your justice and your mercy. I pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'll begin reading in uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Paul says this, But now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift." So as you can see from verse 26, that's where the outline is coming from, Paul says that it, the cross, was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, justice, righteousness, justification, these are all kind of theological terms, a little hard to understand So what I want to do is take each one and kind of look at the Scriptures and gain a better understanding of each one and how it pertains to God and to us, and then we'll see how Paul solves the problem by turning our eyes to the cross. So first let us consider the righteousness of God. In Exodus 34, 6, and 7 is where I'd like to turn first. God says this, The Lord, the Lord... Or excuse me, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. To the third and fourth generation, this uh, this passage here comes at the beginning of the Bible, right at the beginning of redemptive history. At this point, the Israelites they don't have what we have. They don't have the Bible that reveals so much about who God is to them. And so here, what we really see is God revealing His nature to Moses. Remember, God had just brought them out of Egypt. He just brought them out of slavery. He had made them His people. And He had made a covenant with them, and He's now giving them His law to reveal who He is. And He says some really awesome things, doesn't He? He says, I'm a gracious God, slow to anger, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, he says, I will by no means clear the guilty. What God is saying there is that, yes, I am a merciful and I am a forgiving God, but that does not negate my righteous nature. That does not negate my righteousness. And it does not violate it as we will see. And so what Moses is seeing here is the nature of God, that God is a righteous God. It is embedded in who He is. If He is to be God, He is righteous. Psalm 711 says this, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God's righteous character leads Him to feel anger at the wickedness that He sees. In us, and in the rest of the world. It leads him to be angry about that. As a righteous judge, as a righteous God, he must be angry at sin. The psalmist portrays that here for us. But not only must he be angry at sin, he must also rightly punish sin. He must demand that we be punished as sinners. Psalms one nineteen one thirty seven 137 says... Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. So God is not only righteous in and of Himself, but He also shows His righteousness and being a righteous judge. If you deserve death, you will get death. That's righteousness. That's part of who God is. And so now as we turn to Romans we see that Paul has laid out for us that, as I said before, nobody is righteous. In Romans 3.10, it says this, None is righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's not the problem, is it? That's not the problem we're looking at. That God is righteous and that we are unrighteous. The problem is that God is righteous, we are unrighteous, But yet God is calling us just. Now, most people's solution to this problem is to say, well, the love of God, right? The love of God kind of dismisses, maybe, his righteousness and his justice. If I told my son, Ezra, he's a little bit young for me to tell him this, but uh, just for the sake of an illustration, if I said, son, if you dishonor your mother... You are going to get spanked. And then he goes and he dishonors his mother. His mother comes back to me and says, Look, Ezra dishonored me. And if I, being a righteous judge, look at my son and I say, Son, you dishonored your mother. You broke the command that I gave to you. Now, I told you that if you broke this command, you would get spanked. Now, for me to say... But since I love you, I'm not going to spank you. I'm just going to kind of ignore the fact that you dishonored your mother. I would not be a righteous father, would I? My righteousness would not be upheld in that situation. You see, the love of God, we can't pit God's loving nature against his righteousness and his justice. They work together. Because God is loving, it doesn't negate the fact that He is righteous and just. It doesn't trump the other attributes of God. And so how does God reconcile these things? How does God reconcile justifying us calling sinners not guilty and still being righteous? Look at the answer that Paul puts forward in verse 25 of chapter 3. Four little words that mean so much as Paul turns our eyes to the cross. He says this, whom God put forward. Now he's talking about Jesus here. In the previous verse he says, uh, and we are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. So God, the cross shows us that God is upholding His righteousness in the fact that He puts forward His Son. This is showing that God is not willing to turn His back and just kind of ignore our sin. He's saying, no, I'm not going to ignore your sin. Indeed, I cannot ignore it. I must deal with it. And because I love you, and want you to dwell with me forever, I'm going to put forward my Son in your place. This seeks to reveal that God is righteous and yet loving at the same time. But that's not the only problem that we have, right? We still have the problem of God's justice. If God is righteous, His righteousness demands a punishment, right? It demands justice for us. We see justice being described as God's wrath being poured out on those who rightly deserve it. Let's consider some texts again to better understand the justice of God. Psalms 7, Psalms 9, 7 and 8 says this, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the world with uprightness. The justice of God is part of who He is. What does it say here? It says the throne that God sits on is established for justice. And He will judge the world with righteousness and uprightness. Indeed, He must in order to be consistent with who He is as a righteous God. Psalm 7, 12, and 13 says, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrow fiery shafts. This is a vivid description of what God's justice is. It is the pouring out, the action of pouring out his wrath on his enemies. Righteousness is a characteristic of God. Justice is an action. God is righteous, which leads to justice. It is the demonstration of the pouring out of his wrath on his enemies. So we see that His throne is established for righteousness. It's part of His rule and reign over us, over the creation that He has made, and that it's manifested in Him pouring out His wrath upon those who justly deserve it, which is us. Job says, He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. God cannot violate his righteous nature, nor can he violate the justice that his righteous nature demands. So, yet again, as we turn back to Romans, Paul says in verse 23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means that we're all deserving of that justice. We have all sinned. We're all in the same boat. The wrath of God is hanging over us. So if God is just, how is it then that we're not receiving that wrath? How is it that that wrath is not being poured out on us? Is God then unjust? It would appear so. This is what Paul is raising here. This is the objection that he sees to the gospel look again at verse 25 of, of chapter 3 as paul again turns our eyes to the cross and what god has done in his son there for us he says this jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood Propitiation means the satisfying of God's wrath through sacrifice. And so God doesn't just put forward His Son, though He shows His righteousness in saying, I'm putting forward My Son in order to deal with this sin, but in order to fulfill the righteous demand of His righteousness, which is justice, the pouring out of His wrath, He also pours out the wrath due us, On His Son. Maintaining His justice. And yet still loving us. You see, church, this is the gospel. Return with me just briefly to Psalm 7, 12, and 13. It's such a beautiful picture. It says this, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. The gospel is this, God upholding his justice in that he wet his sword, the sword of his wrath, not against us, but against His Son on the cross. The Gospel is that God bent and readied His bow against Jesus. That He prepared deadly weapons for Him. And that God has let loose the fiery arrows of His wrath, not against us, wicked, rebellious sinners who deserve it, but against His perfect and holy Son. That is the Gospel. God maintains his righteousness. God maintains his justice. And he maintains his love for sinners by putting forward his son, showing that he will not let sin go unpunished. And then by punishing his son, who willingly chooses to take our place. God does this. God, this is the way that God justifies sinners. I hope that you get how amazing this is. Do you understand? Do you understand the position that we are in and what God has done for us? And at what great cost to him that it was that we stand reconciled to him today? Now, it might seem right and fitting to turn to God's love as his motivation for doing this, but I'm going to turn elsewhere, which I think goes a little bit deeper. God is the justifier of guilty men. He is the pardoner of guilty men for his glory. David understood this in Psalms 25, 11, He says this, For your name's sake, O Lord, Pardon my guilt, for it is great. Now, don't get me wrong. The love of God for us surely was a motivation that is surely right and true and something we ought to glory in. But that is not God's ultimate motivation for saving us. John Piper explains it a little bit like this God's zeal and glory for his own name is the foundation for why he pardons guilty men. And His motivation of love for us kind of rests on top of that. It is indeed true and glorious that God loves us because we really don't deserve that. But it is indeed even more glorious that God does this for the sake of His name, that He might be lifted up, that He might be glorified. Isaiah 48 through displays this very vividly as we see God speaking through Isaiah, his prophet. He says this, and and, and this comes right before the passage of the suffering servant, where it prophesies of Jesus' suffering for us on the cross. Hear what God says through his prophet in verse 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain my anger for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will give to another. Hear what God says. For my name's sake, I defer my anger for you, for me. For the sake of my praise, I restrain my anger for you. That you may not be cut off, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it so that my name would not be profaned and that my glory would not be given to another. God receives all the glory because he is the justifier. We hold absolutely none of that title. We do not justify ourselves. God justifies us. The beauty of the glory of God in the cross is that he has found a way at great cost to him to maintain his righteous nature. To maintain His just nature. And yet to still be our loving Father. To still be the one who justifies us. Who pardons guilty men. When I was working through this as I was studying Romans 3, I actually continued to kind of wander back to Micah 7, 18 and 19. And just in a moment here, we're going to uh, have the worship team come back up and we're going to sing songs of praise to God for how awesome he is in response. As I sat back and kind of thought about what I was reading and what I was studying and and the beautiful nature of God, I was just kind of taken back and all I could really think was, who is like you, oh God? There is none like you. We don't see this every day. And so as I read Micah 7, 7 18 and 19, consider this with me as, as we worship. Keith, if you want to come up with the worship team. Consider these words. Micah says this, looking forward to the cross. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah in prophesying this, look forward to that day. This morning as we consider who God is and what He's done in His Son, we look backward. Because it's already been accomplished. Who is a God like you? You have pardoned our iniquity. You have dealt with our sin. You do not hold us, you you are not angry with us. You delight in steadfast love toward us. You have had compassion on us in the cross. You have tread our iniquities underfoot. You have cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Pray with me. Father, you are righteous and you are just. And you are loving. How good you are, God, in upholding your character and yet loving wicked sinners. We come to you as your children this morning, hoping to offer you something that is pleasing to your ears and to your heart. Grant that we would worship you with a pure heart.